0: The Press Box is here to catch you up on the latest media stories. Hosted by Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, these guys have the insight on the biggest stories you care about. Check out The Press Box on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app.
2: Hello and welcome back to the group chat. I'm Justin Verrier, joining me on this uh, reunion after two weeks off from hearing our Just wonderful basketball opinions. Righteous Rob Mahoney. Are you glad to be back in the saddle?
0: Look, some of us never left. I've just been in the Zoom call waiting for you guys to come back.
2: Uh, Big Waz, was your uh, time off restful?
3: Uh, I wouldn't say that, but uh, it was nice to, you know, be able to connect with some family, some friends and, you know, do the thing
2: should we even ask what the thing is or does that get into NSFW territory a ah,
3: little, little bit of this a little bit of that and we can get into it off mic <laughs>
2: okay um I read a book that was that was my big thing uh, I feel accomplished but the but it was like 200 pages and the print was large so.
3: <laughs> so so a pamphlet really
2: yeah it was like the Kings winning the Summer League title basically
3: or, or was it or was it Mitt Romney's binders full of women which
2: which was it <laughs> I don't have access to those, unfortunately. Um, Well, the good thing is nothing really happened in the NBA. And if anything, we're back to where we first started, uh, where Ben Simmons is once again uh, going through some stuff here. Uh, We're going to talk about some other stuff later in the podcast, maybe get to Clint Capella's extension, uh, a little clutch action, which is actually tangential to the Ben stuff. But as you probably heard by now, our guy Ben Simmons does not want to show up for training camp. Uh, this according to the Philadelphia Inquirer yesterday. Um, it's kind of the story you would expect at this point. I mean, definitely splinters from there. There's Joel Embiid like defending himself and defending Ben Simmons and also Shit. like throwing <laughs> Philly under the bus. I don't really know what was going on there today. You have teams like the Wolves and the Kings thinking that they have a chance. There's a whole clutch element, as I mentioned before. But um, here's my question for you, Waz is anything different about the Ben Simmons f- trade? Scenario hostage crisis from the Sixers POV based on him making this request public?
3: No, I don't think anything changes from their POV because what they're going to say, they're going to do tough guy talk, right? They're going to be like, if he doesn't come into camp, Um, he doesn't show up for preseason. He loses money. We'll watch him lose money if that's what he actually cares about doing. So, so long as he's under contract, he's our player. Right. Um, and that's what they're going to say. And then of course, as I mentioned several times before, after they re-signed Danny Green, Maury tweets out the five man data of uh, the Sixers starting lineup, having the best net rating. In the entire league when it comes to five man rotations, um, especially when you consider high volume five man lineups. Right. So that's the company line. He's under contract. So long as we have him, we're going to be a really good team. We're not in a rush to get rid of him. But the reality is (laughs) your own teammate talked about you as if you were a dead person. (laughs) Okay, Danny Green is talking to our our buddy Howard Beck about Ben Simmons in the past tense as if he had already died. And so, um, yeah, that's that's just the reality of the situation.
0: I don't think this even changes anything for the other teams either. Like you were either in on Ben Simmons or you were out. You knew who he was. You knew what he was like, who he was as a person, what his attitude, what his approach is like. Who is really like whose hearts and minds are being changed by him holding out of camp if it really comes to that, you know?
2: I definitely think the bad teams of the league, the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Sacramento Kings are definitely perking up thinking like, oh, maybe this fiasco gives us a little <laughs> bit more of an edge. Maybe this applies a little bit of pressure, but it really comes down to how much you really buy into the this is a distraction argument, right? And I don't know how my, where I fall on that to a certain degree. It didn't with Harden until it did. Right. Like it really took him having that a very confusing, uh, very explicit press conference before someone in ownership in the Houston side said, get him out of here. That seemed like a very clear one to one. Um, But until then, it just really comes down to how much your team, your executives, the guys in front of microphones every day can really just handle a couple lobs from media. I I don't know. Like, so uh, I'm mixed on this. I think the one thing is it was really the only tool in clutches like toolbox, right? They wanted to make this more of a thing because that does potentially give them more of an edge.
3: Yeah. And I think theoretically, right, if you're Maury, the idea of presenting this this sort of public face of we love Ben. He's great. We're going to be great with him. Is that it it gives you more trade leverage to, to say to teams, I have no problem walking away from this. However, <laughs> however, <laughs> for those of us who live on planet Earth, um, when a guy says he doesn't want to show up to camp, if he's saying he doesn't want to show up to camp, of oh, sure, maybe he might get forced to come play because of financial obligations and stuff. Uh why do you think we're gonna watch him play better than he did last year while he doesn't want to already be there? Like, to me, this puts the, the the Sixers in a weird bind when it comes to trying to extract value from this trade because there's no world in which he's better than what people perceived them to be last year. Right. Like that's not going to happen. You either don't play him, which I think is the best thing to do, but also presents the idea to other teams. Like, look, you can't even play this guy anymore. Right. So why should we give you anything for him or you do play him and he looks horrible. Right. And that's why I said from the beginning, like the longer this drags out, the worse it is for the Sixers as far as um, the value that they think they're going to give for this guy, because I don't see a scenario where he comes in and he just goes gangbusters for this team and his value goes out the roof.
0: Well, and there's a lot of mixed messaging from the Sixers as to whether they even want him to be there. You know, jo- Joel Embiid was on Twitter this morning <laughs> tweeting, first, I hope everyone is back. Second, Oops. not everyone is built like me, which is exactly what I told Sasha while you guys were out.
2: <laughs>
0: I don't really know what any of that means, but I know, like, I know Doc Rivers was understandably really non-committal at the end of the playoffs about Ben Simmons and his state in the league and his state with the team. Like, there's just a lot of... I don't really know what to make of this other than everyone kind of wants to go their separate ways and they're trying to put on some some sense of a public face to get this done.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think holding him out, though, might actually benefit the Sixers in a certain way because I do think the people you're going to loop into these trade talks are the ones who see Ben as someone who, if they get him in a different environment he could become the player that I think all of us wanted and probably expected him to be, it becomes more of an eye of the beholder situation. And then if you don't get any actual new information to the contrary, if you don't see him not taking three pointers or not like taking wide open dunks when they're available to him, you ha- all you have to really go on is your perception And potentially these videos that keep floating around the internet of him shooting one three or two threes while in a scrimmage. And I do wonder if that's enough of attachment from all the issues that maybe teams convince themselves of something else. I think it actually might help the Sixers in that regard try to kind of like get people more invested in the old idea of Ben or your previous perception of Ben the superstar.
3: Well, you just hit the nail right on the head just when... When it comes to trading for Ben Simmons, you either believe that you can get him to be the aggressive player that we all want him to be, or you don't, right? Like, you think, get him in your locker room, your building around your people, your coaching, your culture, uh, and he's going to turn into that type of player. And so... To a certain extent, it's like uh, it doesn't kind of matter whether he plays or not. If you think it's the Sixers culture and locker room and atmosphere that's holding him down. However, my counter to that is, you know, it's it's twofold. It's like one, you have to be convinced that he's ever going to be become a guy who wants to be as aggressive as. And I know I've beaten this like a dead horse like Giannis. But two, it's not even just that you're aggressive and I think Giannis is instructive because it's not like Giannis was aggressive and he everything just opened up for him. No, he was aggressive and he had to figure more stuff out. Right. So it's like at least with Giannis, the aggression is a given. Right. And then the, all right, how well will you adapt and figure stuff out and add things to your game after you learn what it means to be this sort of focal point? kind of offensive player in a playoff setting and then you go out and you learn it and you apply those lessons to your new thing going forward. I'm like, wait, (laughs) the aggression's not a given with Ben Simmons and then two, like, he's going to figure everything out? Like, I don't understand why you trade for that.
0: Well, if you're one of these teams like the Wolves... I could see you talking yourself into it pretty well, easily. You know, you're thinking <laughs> we have a, we have a guy in Anthony Edwards who does not need to be coaxed to shoot. You know, Carl, Carl Towns and Ben Simmons couldn't be a better match together. Facts, right. And And the longer this goes on, I think the better chance teams like the Wolves will have to get involved just because, Other teams are going to come and go. They're going to check in on Ben Simmons, and then they're going to get on with their seasons. They're going to say, "Okay, well, we can't trade for him. Let's see what we have with our actual team. But like, what are the Wolves playing for if not trying to get involved in these kinds of trade conversations? And so they may end up getting in on that discussion, whether it's a three-way or whatever that trade ends up looking like, just because they're willing to stay on the line a little longer than anybody else.
2: Yeah, apparently they don't have a power forward right now, which I didn't realize until (laughs) uh, the athletic story came out. I guess uh, McDaniels and Vanderbilt are the closest thing they have to that. I mean, maybe they just go all offense and uh, try to scorch the nets there. I would believe the wolves part of it if the reporting, or at least what we know about it, it wasn't their that their, their position wasn't that they were only willing to give up like Jared Cole. Well, they do not even have Jared Cole for any parts, right? <laughs> like they can't even give them him them. But like the thing from the athletic was basically, they want to pair Simmons with Town's Edwards, a clutch client and russell and yeah. at that point i'm like what are we doing okay, like, the sacramento so, b yeah. even had a, had a report where it's like yeah they, they would love to get ben simmons but they don't want to part with fox or halliburton and so it's just like what are, what we, doing are we talking here? about
3: yeah yeah no and and because i was about to say as low as i've been on ben simmons i'm about 50 times low on d'angelo russell uh so if if there was a way to swap those two cats out um, and you know, sure, your playmaking, it kind of suffers. But I think when you have a guy who's as brilliant as Carl Towns and is, and who is so complimentary of what Ben Simmons does, I don't think the playmaking issue becomes as pronounced as it is. And I think Edwards is going to become a dynamic one-on-one score. So playmaking becomes something that you can de-emphasize in that kind of swap, right? Uh, cause, Look, I get that D'Angelo Russell played quality basketball for like 40 days that one time with the Nets and he snuck into an all-star game. And so people think that he's like some really good player because of the pedigree as far as being, you know, a top three pick and all of that stuff. But I, I would do that in a heartbeat if I'm Minnesota.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm more of a Russell believer, but like the past year or two really hasn't given much to that argument. Like <laughs> he just hasn't been as uh, as available to be as confounding sure. as he often is. Uh, th- I mean, this is the problem with the Sixers in general. Like they're not just asking for a bunch of picks. This isn't a James Harden situation. They need a star in the hand to keep this rolling with Joel Embiid. And so, I mean, we've had this conversation before, but I think it's worth having again. Like we know they're waiting on Dame. If Dame does not become available and you have to pull the trigger, what's the best you can get? And it becomes a pretty small pool of guys pretty quickly. Rob, is there any like team or player that you would be looking at if you couldn't get a Dame?
0: Not happily. And that's right. where this whole thing goes <laughs> off the rails for the Sixers. It's like if you can play this over the longer term, maybe you bump into Dame becoming available, or Brad Beal, or someone else we're not talking about, something that becomes you know available in the trade market. But if we're getting into CJ McCollum territory, into the D'Angelo Russell sweepstakes, these aren't deals that really move me if I'm the Sixers. And so they they would kind of have to talk themselves into one almost all-star type guy and a couple of role players, and maybe like a high upside young guy in a deal. I'm not sure that's really changing your life if you're the Sixers, but they're at the point where they don't get to pick and choose these things if one of their best players isn't going to show up to play.
2: Well, I mean, the obvious one, I guess after Beal, who we could talk about, but that doesn't seem like that situation is going to get resolved any quicker than uh, the Dame situation, but is Zach Levine, who ominously (laughs) was announced as a clutch client at like a minute before (laughs) this report came out.
0: (laughs) What, What makes us
2: think he's available? Uh, well, that he signed with Clutch ahead of a contract here. <laughs> I mean...
3: So, so, I think it's... I think that there's a lot of signaling that goes on when, you know, uh, the guy who orchestrated the Anthony Davis departure, who's now in charge of the Ben Simmons departure, uh, you know, signs on as a client, a guy who ha- who's up for a huge contract extension. But... Look, I think the Rich Paul, I think what makes him available, Rob, is not just the the clutch of it all, um, hashtag and clutch we trust, just so anybody was wondering. Um, <laughs> in case anybody was wondering. Um, I don't think it's just that. It's what I mentioned, you know, a few podcasts ago when... You know, Windhorse asked him about his deal and he's like, I just want respect. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. When you start talking about respect from your current employer, that's because you're not happy and you want to get the hell out of Dodge. Nobody who's, you know, really happy about their situation. And like, put it this way, like imagine if somebody asked Giannis about the Bucks organization and he started talking about, well, I just would like for them to respect me. People be like, what? (laughs) No, because that would never come up, right? Like, he's obviously got a certain amount of trust. And there's a mutual respect there between player and organization as a franchise guy, as, you know, management, seeing the guy as integral to what they're doing in the future. Obviously, Zach Levine hasn't been feeling that love from Bulls management and the Bulls brass. And so, you know. I see those comments while he's on the Olympic team. I see Rich Paul now involved in the situation. I don't know how you don't think this guy's not on the market. How do you think he's not on the market? I mean,
0: he may be, but I think the signaling is the important part because to me, what allows Clutch to chase all the big deals that they have for their players is that reputation. It's the, the implied threat that a Clutch client is willing to just walk out the door if they get a better offer. Like that threat is real. As to whether the data and the history really backs it up, Shoot. I don't know. Like, like, John Wall was a clutch client, got the Supermax from the Wizards. Uh, DeJounte <laughs> Murray, you know, re upped with the Spurs. You got Draymond re upping with the Warriors. Like, their guys stay. I, I don't know if it's as often as they go. And you certainly sure. have these very high profile situations of players engineering trades to leave. Absolutely. That's inarguable. But I just think there's a lot of like workaday and role player type guys on a clutch's roster who, just sign normal free agent deals and we don't yes. talk about it.
2: I, I think that's a good point. Although I would look at the specifics of the examples that you mentioned. John Wall stayed for the supermax, which yeah. He, yeah. no one was it probably ever going to get close to. They couldn't, but like nobody probably, I don't yeah, know if it was even a max nobody, player at that, at that point. Well, Draymond, he, got his,
0: he got his damn respect, you know?
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, Draymond was staying put on a dynasty. You know, like those individual situations make sense to say, I'm not so sure it makes sense for Levine to stay on the Bulls long term. I mean, I mean, that's actually a good question to ask for. If you're Levine, are you saying my future is brighter with the Bulls? They brought in Lonzo Ball. They brought in DeMar DeRozan for whatever reason. Alex Caruso seems like a good hang at, at the very least at the hookah bars. Um, or would you rather go play with Joel Embiid and try to win championships? I mean, for me, I think the, the answer is obvious. And if that, is obvious to us. I imagine he feels maybe close to that.
0: We need a a name for this particular part of the offseason where it's like after all the trades, all the free agency <laughs> before camp when everyone just starts kind of grumbling who isn't happy with what their team did. The Zach Levines, the Ben Simmons. We need, we really need a designation for this period of time.
3: In, this period of time is called NBA media. Get your ass back home from vacation. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I know. We're just looking our chops. Other than this, we we're ready to talk about like Lori Market and trade like part two, just like what his impact and specific role was going to be. <laughs> Kevin Love may be playing. Yeah, so thank you. (laughs)
1: this episode is brought to you by Arby's it's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot that's where the new two for five dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in available in ranch barbecue and honey mustard they're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app.
2: I mean, let's look at, at this from the Sixers' point of view, too. Let's say Dame is off the table. He just falls in love with Larry Nance. Just Larry Nance becomes Bill Walton 2.0. Uh, do you think Levine is the type of player who they could replace Ben with and still have as good of a chance, about as good of a chance to have a title run next season? Wise, what do you think?
3: I think, heck yeah. Um, just because... Just that level of perimeter juice that they just did not have last year in the playoffs. And God bless Tobias Harris, right? Like he's a mid-range assassin. Doc Rivers has unleashed him to drop 21 points a game. And, and it's great. We love it. But like that's been proven that that's not enough perimeter heat in order to be a serious postseason contender. And you know, it's, 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 I think it's instructive when we watch guys like a, Donovan Mitchell or uh, Devin Booker. It's like, look, you need those type of guys on the perimeter. I'm not saying that Zach Levine is of the level of those two other cats, although I, th- I think he could get pretty damn close. When you pair that with Joel and what he's doing both offensively as an anchor and defensively, now you cooking with gas, okay? Like, you, you've you got a serious postseason offense when it comes to those two cats offensively. And then, of course, we know with Joel Embiid, he's a walking, talking, competent defense um, anytime he's on the floor. So now, like, you, you're a serious threat. Not just the fact that the guy can just spot up, right, <laughs> and just let Joel go to work one-on-one against guys because of the gravity that he's going to attract him, because of the the special level of shooter that he is but also on the ball one on one he can beat dudes and again the sixers have never had that in the process era except for that one year with Jimmy Butler where they damn near beat the defending I mean the NBA champions that year right so they had one year of Jimmy Butler doing it for them and then the rest has been us pretending that Ben Simmons is the next I don't know LeBron or whatever the hell we've been calling him for the last 5 years
2: this is a, a erasure for the Isaiah Cannon years, by the way, but I think <laughs> we can move on from that. Noish Smith? Said, <laughs> Smith was actually my second there.
0: <laughs> I mean, Zach Levine would be unbelievable there. Just thinking mm-hmm. about what guys like Seth Curry have been able to do in Philly or J.J. Redick, and as you said, Jimmy Butler, and Zach Levine's kind of like the midpoint between those skill sets offensively. So if you could have a creator like that alongside Joel, that would be incredible, the balance there, I think, would be off the charts. The question is, if you're Chicago, player for player, do you make that trade? I think they, they're they probably motivated, to if Zach decides he wants out and you like the security of Ben Simmons' long-term contract. But before all this shook out in terms of you know Levine's agency change, I'm not sure if you're the Bulls, you're looking at that and saying, I'm jumping at the chance to trade one of the best shooters in the world for this guy who... You know, as great as Ben Simmons is, you have to build your whole team around him. So unless you've been planning to do that this whole time, it just creates a Clearly lot of different they complications. because they
3: signed DeMar DeRozan to a million contract. So <laughs> that, that wasn't in their plans. Just peanut, but- right. peanut butter and
0: jelly, those two. By the right. way, you know
3: what's so crazy? Before the beginning of last season, I don't think people would have looked at Ben Simmons and Zach Levine as comparable players in the no Simmons direction. Right. Now we're looking at it just one season later in completely opposite directions like no 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 like don't even think about comparing Ben Simmons to Zach Levine (laughs) that's crazy
2: yeah I mean I still think there's a world where Ben Simmons finds himself again I mean if he goes to Portland for Dame it's actually a pretty nice situation where he can be something of a small ball five have enough shooting around him and maybe tap into that but like I think is a
3: world where he finds himself, Justin, but he's got to go to, like, South America and do, like, ayahuasca (laughs) or some shit. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe then he'll find himself.
2: (laughs) Are you getting into your vacation? No. (laughs) (laughs) Can we
0: talk about the Small Ball Five? Can we talk about the Small Ball Five thing with Ben real quick, though? Because I've seen in this saga a lot of... Oh, in trading for Ben Simmons, you'd be getting like a Draymond Green type player. You
3: know. You know.
0: Ben Simmons isn't really good at guarding bigs. I don't know why we pretend that he is. Like as far as guards go, is perfectly suited for it relative to guys who are 6-1, but he's really good at guarding wings and he's really good at guarding guards. He's not Draymond Green. He's just not he doesn't body guys up like Draymond does. He doesn't fight for rebounds like Draymond does. Just a totally different type of player, I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, he wouldn't be as good, but I think you're also hoping to supercharge your offense in that regard and just like be a team that's going to sprint on the court. I mean, I wonder if you have Nance, him... Rocco, like maybe you have enough big bodies just to throw at teams and just like to impede progress rather than like really, I mean, you have Nurkic there too, to be the big guy in yeah. that situation. I don't know. I, I don't disagree with you, but I do think it would be a better usage of him uh, to say the least.
0: Oh, I think they should try it. Like, I think you should try to push him in that direction and make him competitive in those matchups. And from Portland's perspective, whether you're trading Lillard or you're trading McCollum, Simmons pairs really well with either
2: of those guys. Right. Are there any other teams out there that we like as a trade partner? I mean, the teams that you really hear are the Kings for some reason. Um, is Um I guess Beal just isn't an option, although that seems like the best fit um, anyone can imagine for both sides. Um The Warriors are probably the other one we should discuss because now they just have a, a potpourri of stuff that they can give to uh, the Sixers, but I don't know if they have that one guy that they would need. Is anyone else out there that you guys like? It becomes pretty dire pretty quickly.
3: I mean, I don't... I I just don't... I just don't see it. Uh, You know, I know nobody's talked about this, but, like, where is this guy supposed to go where a good player already exists, right? Like, that isn't... And that good player isn't Steph Curry. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, okay, anybody can play next to Steph Curry. That's what makes him one of the greatest players of all time, right? Like, he will supercharge any situation, especially for a non-shooter. He just makes your life so much easier because of the level of attention he attracts both on and off the ball to open up spots for non-shooters. Be like, who is the guy that you—like, Rob said it—like, You have to make the team in Ben's image. Ben doesn't go to a team and fit into their image very easily. We've just seen that over and over. That's why it's like it becomes such a head scratcher when you start looking for destinations for this guy. Like, you know, look, I think a team like OKC... With all of their three trillion draft picks, they don't have any stars to send back besides Shea, but obviously that's a non-starter. I think somebody like OKC where it's like, we have no, we have nothing going on in the present. Nothing's going to be expected of Ben. All we're doing is building a team. So we can be strategic about putting the proper pieces around a guy like Ben Simmons. But like, other than that, like, what are we talking about? Like, like, could he play in Memphis? No. Like, where, where are we, like, sending this dude? You know what I mean? Like, it, it like Utah clearly couldn't do it. Um, And would they want to? I, I don't know. Like, we got enough on-ball guys. Like, where are you sending this guy to? Whether it be a contender, a team that's already contending, or a team that's building from the bottom. I guess, theoretically, Orlando's always looking for non-shooters. So I'm sure maybe they could cobble something together Fam, Like, where does this guy go?
0: It really has to be a team that's either in a rebuild already, or ready to kind of transition their whole roster to do something different. Because even if you look at the stars who are out there, who you would want to pair with Ben Simmons, the rest of the rosters just don't accommodate stuffing him in there. You know, like in in a perfect world, maybe the Hawks would be a candidate for this because Trey Young and Ben would be awesome together, but they just signed Clint Capella to an extension. Clint Capella and Ben Simmons do not work well, And, and they already have John Collins so it's like, how, how would those pieces fit? They don't really make sense. And you run into this every, you'll know, go team for team all throughout the league. There's a reason why we keep coming back to the Wolves and the Kings. And I mean, reportedly Ben Simmons wants to go to the three California teams, which yeah, is just inc- the- incredible you know, Sacramento like, I
1: was, erasure. I was
3: like, that's I, was, I wanted to ask you. I was like, wait, is he is he like crossing out the Clippers or is it the
2: uh-huh.
3: Kings? Or like, what's going on with that?
2: Because yeah. it's four teams. <laughs> Sacramento isn't a part of California, apparently. <laughs> just the capital. <Colorado. laughs> yeah, no, it, it gets really tough. I, I think the difficult part is the usual process for this is inverted, where it's the superstar who would fit on every team isn't mm, necessarily like, available. It's we have these quarters or these this half dollar, and I would like your your dollar player. Will you please just make this exchange for me? <laughs> and unfortunately, <laughs> like that's not really a good way to do business.
3: And by the way, last last year, we mentioned him at the top of the show, but Harden was the guy that was on the market to start the season. And James Harden is the classic not Ben Simmons. Meaning, throw me anywhere, I bet you I'll figure it out. If you need me to be heavily on ball, I can do that, because I'm one of the best point guards, playmakers. Ever. I can shoot off the ball. I can play either the one the two, the three you you pick. Like, it doesn't matter. Like you put me on any team that has serious aspirations of winning a championship. I don't care. Put me next to LeBron. Put me next to KD. Put me next to whoever the fuck you want. That shit's going to work. Right. Like that's James Harden. This is literally the opposite. Like literally you have to be ultra specific about where this guy goes.
0: And how crazy is it that James Harden is at the center of another big trade what if scenario where if the Sixers had just been able to pull that <sighs> off, trading Simmons and Man, whoever else and whatever else for Harden. That would
2: have been wonderful.
0: What a different world we would be living in today. Yeah. Right.
2: Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's break here. Uh, I do want to get into the clutch of this all. Uh, so we'll take a break. and We'll talk about that.
1: <laughs> this episode is supported by State Farm. Man.
2: just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to visible at visible.com and use promo code ringer20 for data management practices and additional terms. Visit visible.com. The visible monthly rate is $25 per month. All right. So let's get into some hashtag La Familia business here. Uh, in addition to this whole Ben Simmons fiasco, uh, it seems like clutch has had a very active, uh, past week or two of the off season. In addition to the Ben part of this, there was a report that was rescinded basically today or was updated today, even though it was, uh, actually a retraction saying that Tyrese Maxey, also a clutch client wanted to get out of Philly (laughs) to the point where like clutch was telling him, not to go to community events. So basically, like telling him not to feed the home homeless or something because they would get too attached to him. I don't know what is happening. Um, it was walked back though, and I guess Maxi just loves Philly again. So what a, what an interesting past day that was. But this is also swirling at a time when New Orleans Noel has a lawsuit out against Clutch uh because of the money left on the table when he didn't sign an extension with Dallas, signed with Rich Paul, got rid of Happy Walters in the uh in the assumption that he can get more on the open market, did not get anywhere close to that, and now has a $58 million lawsuit. So there's a lot going on here. Uh Waz, what do you what's your just general sense of, of what's going on here? Are you feeling here's what I feel. Like I feel like clutches become more part of the conversation Uh, on, like, just the day-to-day level than ever before?
3: You know, it's interesting, right? I think the New Orleans Noel situation, if everything in that, everything that Joel is alleging is to be believed, is, you know, that's a bad marker on, you know, the part of Clutch and Rich Paul and the company. Like, that goes without saying. But, you know, for me... I've always felt an unease about the level of scrutiny and attention that Clutch gets. And I'm talking about before Rich Paul was doing like sports illustrated covers and all of that. Like his name was always coming up, like where agents are griping or teams are complaining about their dealings with him and et cetera, et cetera. When he, what, when all he was doing was agenting. And I'm like, well, what's so different about Rich Paul that he's constantly getting this level of microscopic attention, right? Like people are fine-toothed Coleman and agents are talking about the tactics and this. It's always made me uneasy, right? Like, it's it, obviously race plays a component in this. And not even just race, like class, the class structure of it all. And that Rich Paul, no, he didn't get an MBA from an Ivy League school. Yeah, he came in on the back of LeBron James. Guess what? A lot of y'all came in into y'all industries on the backs of y'all daddies and mommies and granddaddies, and nobody cries about it. It's completely fine, right? Uh, I just think he attracts... This weird energy and attention because, you know, he's perceived to be a street guy who's made it in a legitimate business that's usually traditionally been dominated by a bunch of MBAs. Right. Like by a bunch of white dudes. Um, And, and I think that's what always makes the clutch attention uneasy. At the same time, you know, Rich Paul has done a pretty good job of cultivating an image that clutch is. A cut above the rest is different. We're willing to go the extra mile for our guys. We're like, you know, we're, we're, we're special. They've, they've done, you know, the work of trying to cultivate that image within the media. So that comes with its problems too, right? Like you want to attract that attention. You want to sort of right. craft that self image for your company, but that also comes with another side of that attention, right? And he so that's, spun it
2: in their favor, yeah. Right,
3: right. And, and so, I, you know, I, I think the clutch thing, to me, it's actually calmed down, where every time they do something, it's not a bunch of anonymous rival agents carping and bitching about it, but, you know, they have some of the biggest clients in the NBA, so we're always going to be talking about them one way or another.
0: I still can't believe that the NCAA tried to basically decertify Rich Paul.
3: <laughs> Crazy. That was wild. <laughs> Craziness. That was a wild time.
0: But no, I mean this neural and well thing hits it just that was, which is it's it's targeting the idea that Clutch and really what's the heart of Clutch's reputation, which is as an agency that applies pressure and gets guys paid. And that's what makes this particular case so interesting and so evocative is clearly neural. This New guy Noel, didn't get paid. He didn't get paid. He went there with the expectation he was gonna get more on the open market. It did not work out. That happens to guys all the time, but that's this is the other side of being. It just on. happened to
3: Dennis Schroeder.
0: <laughs> right. When, when when is our segment? Actually, we already did a segment on Dennis Schroeder and his agents. That's, I mean, it's previous pod. Uh, but no, I mean, it's it's you know the other side of that of that cutting edge in terms of sometimes you're going to get burned by your reputation when you don't pay it off in this particular way. When you tell guys, or when get, at least guys have the expectation that if they become an unrestricted free agent, they're going to get the bag.
3: And and look, and it's something to what you just said, Rob. Because <laughs> I, I remember last summer. Um, when KCP's deal was reported and Shams like there was apropos of nothing. There was no reason to sort of report this detail, but Shams is basically like they've now recouped like something like 90 to 95% of the money that he turned down from Detroit in that original restricted free agent offer. And I was like, I get it. I get we do the back scratching thing for the agent, but that was Clutch basically being like, ultimately, we made our man whole. Like, that's they care about this reputation, right? Like, they, they care about, like, if you... I remember just reading that Sean Sweet, like, bro. Like, you didn't even, like, edit <laughs> the text from the
2: agent. You just <laughs>
3: straight up sit that joint out. Not, not that everybody doesn't do that in that business, in a news-breaking business. But it struck me that, like, nah, Clutch wanted it out there that... KCP walked away from a lot of guaranteed money with with Detroit, and ultimately, within that time span, in a better market, while winning a championship, he made all of that money back, and clutched it that for him.
2: Yeah, I mean, I do think Paul's ledger has some mixed results in there. There are a a few flameouts. I think the Noel one is a, a clear example of that um but they well, probably are at the er
3: Bledsoe. i
2: mean <laughs> right there are a lot of examples where he got way more than probably anyone else would i mean he held Tristan Thompson out and got way more there i mean he pretty much leveraged the cavs for for multiple years in order to get his guys paid J.R. JR smith and
3: his last contract with the cavs Woo!
0: i think right. he's still getting paid i think he got stretched jr jr still getting checks from the cavs i think
2: plus his golf endorsements, yeah. Rich Paul was wearing, he was wearing masks before
3: Corona. I'm telling <laughs> you, boy, that dude was robbing him. Uh, <laughs> J.R. J- 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 <laughs> J- J- Swish, the Tristan Thompson, the Bledsoe straight up doing the opposite of um, uh, Dennis Schroeder, of uh, being like, before the playoffs come, I'm going to get myself paid (laughs) because God only knows what could happen after the playoffs. Right. Like, right. They, they do a good job, man, of just being like, tell, I think the Draymond contract is way more than should be necessary for a player of Draymond Green's level. I think they do a good job of getting cats paid. And guess what? They paid a price for coming off as the bad guy in public.
2: Yeah. I mean, they benefit and, and they are like, Taken down a peg because that people notice their failures and their successes way more because of that. I think my just like wonderment about this whole situation is if, if pretty much Paul extracts Simmons out of Philadelphia and Maxi also leaves Philadelphia, are we in a situation where teams are becoming more turf war for agents than ever before? I think there are. Plenty of examples throughout the history of the NBA of, of agents uh, having their technicals into certain teams. The Bucs were a prime example of this when Jason Kidd uh, was head coach. That team was pretty much run by that agency. Lakers are an example of Paul having a lot of influence of that team. Are we getting to the point where, like, ever bef- like more than ever before, we're seeing more Asian influence into, like, almost territories here where it's almost like sharks and, and jets going on more than, than teams versus each other.
0: You're saying hypothetically, if Tyrese Maxey were traded because he loves <laughs> right. Philadelphia.
2: Right. Yes. Loves the community there. I don't know. It just, it just seems maybe it's just like more out in the open because it's clutch because Paul like draws so much more attention, but it does feel like we're, we're hearing the quiet parts out loud a little bit more than ever before.
0: I think it's just more visible. And that's that's the clutch effect, as we've been talking about, is this is an agency that gets discussed for for better or worse, for whatever reasons people are talking about what clutch does in ways they weren't talking about Happy Walters or Dan Fagan or, you know, like these other agencies who had relationships with teams. It's just it's just a different level of visibility.
3: I mean, Rob, that deal that Jamar DeRozan just got, like, er, like if that if Clutch had did that deal, trust me, they would have found a way to be like, damn. Yeah, this is what we do, baby. Like, that that's a ridiculous deal, right? Like, that's a—that's an, uh, an insanely good piece of agenting on the part of um, Aaron Goodwin and them to get DeMar DeRozan 90 million freaking dollars. You know, um, I just feel like if that was a clutch situation, it would have been way more publicized and we would have heard way more about it. Right. I just think on the good and the bad side. Other agents just don't get the attention that Rich Paul draws.
0: And I mean, the influence is real. You know, we're just talking about Ben Simmons wanting to go to the three, the the quote unquote, three California teams. Not a coincidence (laughs) that the Lakers have considerable (laughs) clutch ties. Eric Bledsoe, now a Clipper. You got Draymond. I think Moses Moody is represented by clutch as well with the Warriors. Like those are teams with established relationships with that agency. Not a coincidence.
2: I've been reading the uh, the CAA oral history that James Miller did, and I gotta say, like, I'm just getting bad signs of like this basically being packaging for the NBA. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. I'm I'm clearly in a different headspace, but I'm just like, man, this is this is just all really gross, and I want like nothing to do with this. <laughs> just like- <laughs> it's a whole other layer to the transaction game that just makes things way more of a pissing contest than anything that like we would actually want to discuss. And it's just like, it's a little exhausting. I'll just say that.
0: Well, I think there was a reason it was out of NBA coverage for so long, especially at a time where we wanted to mythologize players and we wanted to... You know, have a more romantic vision of the game. I think fans now want a more complete view of things. If if you want to seek it out, if you just want to watch the games and you know uh, celebrate players, you can do that. But there is there is certainly a, an underbelly to the NBA. Sometimes dark, sometimes not, uh, with all the dealings going on.
2: Listen, there's Substack for that now, my friend. So you can get you can get that information. Um, do you want to talk about Clint Capella real quickly? Sure. Uh, so. Today, on Wednesday, he signed a two-year, $46 million extension, according to ESPN, with Yelena Hawks. Interesting because he already had two years on his contract, uh, so this should take him through his age 30 season with the Hawks after doing a good job, pretty much just completely being the Hawks' defense uh, and bringing them back to respectability on that end this season. Uh, Rob, just first and foremost, the Capella deal, good deal, bad deal, fine deal? What do you think?
0: Good deal. I mean, this is a, an Eastern Conference finalist team bringing back one of its best players, one of the better defensive players in the league last season. And I think most importantly, one of the guys who gives that team kind of a baseline so that all their young players can be upside plays. You know, he he is the steady foundation of that team in a lot of ways. So I like that they're they're kind of slow playing, you know, on Akongu's development and letting him grow into his game before trying to shoehorn him into a starting role. He's clearly ready to play now, but... Starting for a, a team that wants to contend is a very different thing, so let Capella serve his time there, be a really good player for you, be on a reasonable contract for a guy who is at least in the running to be on the ballot for a defensive player of the year, you know, an all defense candidate i don't I don't really see anything anything to not be happy about with an arrangement like that. Good for Capella, good for the Hawks.
3: yeah. Uh, this made me actually think about the Jared Allen deal. In the sense that, you know, there was some mixed reactions to that deal. A lot of people felt like it was one of the worst deals of the offseason. Just the idea that you would guarantee that guy 20 mil a year, where to me, it feels like 20 million is basically if you're a bona fide starting center, not uh, on the fringe type of starting center, but no matter like a JaVale McGee, right? Like no matter what team basically you're on in the NBA, you're probably going to start for that team at center. I feel like 20 million bucks is the going rate. And this, you know, counting bonuses and incentives is about 22 to 23 million into his age 30 season. This seems completely reasonable um, in a league where the cap is going to go up, although maybe not as crazily as it has in the recent past, but it's going to go up. Seems like a reasonable deal for a guy who, like you said, Rob, steadied the team's defense. Before Clint Capella got there, The Hawks were the worst defense in the NBA consistently for like two to three years. He got there and automatically their league average (laughs) just by getting this dude in their building. So yeah, I think this is a more than fair deal.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it definitely seems like a, a good thing to lock him up. I think my question is more of like, or just what I'm thinking about this is more in the broad sense. Does it seem like there are more extensions happening than ever before? I do wonder if this is a product of how uh knifey free agency has gotten and then like how much like players have wrested back control in free agency where they're like forcing trades and whatnot I, it's almost like you lock in the deal for the player keep him happy and on the player's side you lock in the money as soon as possible because like maybe you won't even make it to free agency this all happens before that
0: can I get the etymology of knifey and can you use it <laughs> in a sentence please <laughs> I, I, coca I, I, I new thought,
2: deal is Nike
0: yeah
3: I thought, I thought he said Nike at first and I was like damn <laughs> Nike is controlling free agency that's crazy
2: honestly um, I wouldn't be surprised
3: <laughs> um, you know it's interesting to related to free agency and extensions etc I remember when LeBron and the decision happened and in the very next CBA Dan Gilbert was like we need to get rid of signing trades <laughs>
2: <laughs> because,
3: like, you know, LeBron wanted to go to this other team and, you know, because we still wanted to get something for him, we were able to do a sign-in trade. And, and like, it was the stupidest thing that they did. This, like, idea that sign and trades were somehow what was forcing people to not want to leave in this, live in the city of Cleveland for the rest of their life. Mm. Um, and so to watch all of these sign and trades now happen on top of extensions um, being... Even more common uh, than before. Like, I do think, like Rob said, this is just a new paradigm, especially if, you know, if guys are willing to (laughs) request for trades with four years left on the deal. Like, what's the point of free agency at this point?
0: Well, it helps too that the extension rules, which have been changed over, you know, recent years they're not great still in terms of being a realistic option for players. Like it still behooves a lot of guys to hit the market, but they're just a little bit more reasonable. They're a little bit more friendly. Like a guy like Capella can get a near, you know, 15 to 20% raise over his salary going into a couple extra years on his deal. If that makes sense for, for someone like him and his position. So case by case, I think it's just becoming a more realistic option. And whenever the next CBA is negotiated, well, I mean, who knows when that's going to be at this point. I think all parties are kind of incentivized to just, Hold down the fort and and try to weather through some of the economic uncertainty. But when that happens, I'm really curious to see what happens with the extension rules because there's no doubt that teams would like a little more flexibility to get and keep their best players under contract. We'll see if they're we'll see if they they you know bargain for that and allow themselves to do that.
2: Yeah, for now it definitely seems to be benefiting the Capellas of the world, like the middle class player, where it's like. He wouldn't, on in the open market, just get an automatic max so now he could lock in long-term security and, yep. and go there. It's, it's one of the first victories for the middle class in, in American history. Let's say that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> of this century, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, all
2: right. That's it for us. Uh, we'll be back next week and every week through the 2021-2022 NBA season, which starts tomorrow or in like a month or so. Um, thank you to Sasha Ashall, our rich paul of this podcast thank you for keeping the count right for us um we'll be back next week See ya.